0: This episode is brought to you in part by the Second Mission Foundation. Second Mission Foundation is a nonprofit organization that exists to educate, elevate, and advocate for members of America's service community in order to help them find their second mission after government service. Second Mission Foundation was started by and for the members of America's service community. That means members of the armed forces, first responders, security contractors, et cetera. Second Mission Foundation provides these veterans the opportunity for them to tell their stories, reach their goals, and make their voices heard through educational outreach, entrepreneurship support, and community involvement for everything going on at Second Mission Foundation. Go to secondmissionfoundation.org. That's secondmissionfoundation, all one word, .org, secondmissionfoundation.org. Profiles in Havoc is a Havoc Journal podcast. The Havoc Journal seeks to serve as the voice of the veteran community through a focus on current affairs and articles of interest to the public in general and the veteran community. In particular, Havoc Journal strives to offer timely, current, and informative content. When you go to Havoc Journal, you will read the most articulate, opinionated, thoughtful, and provocative veteran writers writing about the nation, the world, politics, national security, culture, fitness, movies, the list goes on and on and on. Havoc Journal is always expanding, always striving to improve the reader's experience. Check it out at HavocJournal.com. That's Havoc with a K, Journal.com, HavocJournal.com. My guest today is Marine Corps Chief Warrant Officer Mike Reynolds. And Mike kind of came to my attention because, um, you know, I was scrolling through Instagram and saw these drawings and charcoal sketches and watercolors of Marines at various times, various places, doing different things. And it was incredibly evocative work. And the way he kind of described himself on Instagram I think it just said that he was an active duty Marine and maybe some other stuff. But, you know, I was like, Oh, this might be some dude in the fleet that just happens to be an artist. And that's kind of cool. Um, but it turned out that just recently, like really recently, like the last couple months, Mike has, uh, moved into the Marine Corps combat art program into mm-hmm. that billet. And, uh, but he's been, you know, in the Marines now for 20 plus years, uh, Mostly as an ammunition tech, uh, attached to Marsoc, attached to a bunch of other units, he's deployed everywhere: OER, OIR, um, you know, OIF, all the rest of it. So he's you know been around and seen an awful lot. And he was a 9/11 enlistee, and um, I think what struck me about Mike is the way that he sees. Um, his career, his life, and his art all kind of marry up in, in one common purpose, which is telling the story of warriors from this generation. You know, he has uh, clearly a deep affection for the Marine Corps. And he clearly is a very talented artist, but he also is an incredibly curious, intellectual Intelligent, articulate, guy, and seems like he is very focused on critical thinking, and communicating uh, the values. Uh, I mean, I don't know if there's a better way to put it: patriotic values. Um, like the story of the Marine Corps, the story story of individual Marines, the story of heroism, a close hand look at a portrait portraits of heroes. Um, And again, he uses that word advisedly, um, and I won't steal his thunder, but I think he has a really good point about, you know, most people that are heroic do not see themselves that way. But I think he does see the implicit need of the veteran community to relate stories of heroism, to illustrate that to a broader audience, because that that's something that a civilian population doesn't always appreciate or understand or, um, you know, has doesn't have a, a, as much familiarity with. And being able to relate those stories, you know, I think can do an awful lot of good. So I was thrilled to be able to sit down and talk with them. Um, I got to apologize. I'm, I'm a little under the weather. So if I sound like I'm a little beat up right now, that's why. It has nothing to do. <laughs> With my enthusiasm talking to Mike, because I really enjoyed it, and I'd love to talk to him again. Um, Yeah, just a really great conversation. Without further ado, I'm Christopher Paul Meyer, and this is Mike Reynolds' Profile in Havoc. Welcome to the show, Mike.
1: Hey, thanks so much for having me. This is awesome.
0: Oh, dude, I'm really glad to have you on. And I want to tell you, um, as a way of a compliment and as an intro, I want to tell you why I was excited to have you on. And it was one particular line of your bio where it said where you said that you had a passion for uh, you know creating artwork um, that because art should tell a story and the stories of the GWAT. Demand to be told, hundred percent right. I think that's and it, it, I kind of think I think for a lot of people it goes without saying. I think if they're a veteran artist, but I think sometimes it needs to be said, and I think it's important to front load that, and I think it's an important um, component of the warrior path in this country that it's our duty to share that with those that haven't walked that path. But you tell me. I mean, what, what were you thinking with it?
1: Yeah, so um, I am a, like, my father served in the Air Force, I think, to get out of the Vietnam War. Um, But, like, you know, he chose the less of a couple of different evils. Uh Anyway, so I don't come from a long lineage of military history and background in my family tree. However, like, since joining the Marine Corps and being able to observe our generation, you get to also observe the generations of those who have come before us. And um, I think we all kind of understand the history of uh, what happened with the Korean War and the Vietnam War, um, and even, you know, the early stages of Der- Desert Storm and Desert Shield. Um, and there's some history there, but like the incredible history that we've created as a generation of service members. There's so much that needs to be recorded for history, right? And I think the victors in any, um, you know, battle, war, or whatever, always get a, a vote in what goes down in the history books. But that doesn't injustice to the individuals who have a story to tell. And I think, in my own personal lens, that artwork can help aid those non-written stories by documenting the experiences of those individuals in an immersive environment as well as being able to aid in the verbal discussions right the oftentimes we break out a publication or a magazine or mm-hmm. there's a piece of artwork hanging in your company executives uh you know corner office suite and you're like wow you're a human underneath all of this tell me about that piece of artwork um, Aside from just something looking cool on your on your right. wall, um, it helps tell a story, right? And if all it does is peaks a discussion about military service in defense of this great experiment that we call the Western world, then my goal has been satiated, right? We've been able to open the door for a conversation to something that's so much greater than just a you know, picture or painting on a wall.
0: So you talked about the victors always having a vote in how that story is told, um, and that presumably I assumed where you're going with that is that there's other voices as well. I'll never forget a history professor of mine once said, it's not the victors that write the history, it's the enlightened that write the history, which I always thought was an interesting delineation. That assumes yeah. that the enlightened are still alive in order to tell the story, but yes, I, I think he had a it – it's an interesting point. What did you think, though – Do you think there's other people besides, presumably, just the combatants or just the nominal victor of a conflict that has a story to tell? And then how do we do that? How is that accessed? So
1: so we've seen some really great recreations in recent, um, you know, modern media with um, social media is, is you've got a whole bunch of content creators, you know, putting out information and whatever. You've always got the fear of misinformation. Let's go back to World War II and um, talk about the Marines on Iwo Jima, right? They were fighting a belligerent who was the Japanese Imperial Army. And these folks had gone to an island and dug themselves in and prepared for what they had assumed was going to be like the last stand of um, the Imperial East. They've got a story to tell as well, right? And if we ever... I think the military has got a, a means of dehumanizing our enemies. Mm-hmm. Um maybe for like a psychological protection act. Sure. But sure. but in the same sense, like the enlightened understand that those are humans and fathers and uncles and aunts and brothers as well. Um what I'm getting at is there's some really good videos and analysis done that projects the mindset of the opposing force um, specifically in Iwo Jima. I just watched it a couple nights ago mm. and it talks about like what the Japanese had done in preparation for the land assault. And as an individual who's been stationed in Japan, I was able to go to both Hiroshima and Nagasaki's war mm-hmm. memorials, right? Mm-hmm. Where the atomic bombs were dropped. Um, and the perspective shift is astonishing right and of course like terrible terrible times um and war is absolutely ugly and anybody who tries to glorify it or romanticize it Mm -hmm. probably hasn't truly experienced Mm -hmm. it um but being able to see a different perspective really put a lot more context into like the after effects with me at least um and it was really interesting and if we're able to do that with our artwork i think it also helps to tell our story. Um, you know, we've lost, and I don't wanna say lost, right? But but several engagements have not been victorious, right? Like we've lost friends and family. And um, no matter how we look at that or cut those, um, cut that picture up, the loss of a friend or a service member or a brother or a sister, that's a loss right and no matter how you cut it and it's that platoon mate story like the guy who he was bunk mates with back at the patrol base who after that patrol comes back and his friend isn't in his rack like that guy's got a story to tell and how do we tell that story yeah. right how do we document that story so some of the artwork that i focus on um doesn't get to that nitty gritty detail necessarily of telling an individual story but i try mm-hmm. to do something that everybody can at some level relate to
0: i I, i'm just inspired to ask this question it might be completely nonsensical so let me throw that caveat out there to start with sure if a freaking al-qaeda fighter got out and for some reason saw a gallery display of your artwork what do you think they would take away
1: so interesting you say that i've got um some artwork along with some other marine corps combat artists in gallery um we were invited to you know display our artwork in their veteran art exhibit down in fort lauderdale and in preparation for that i had to submit some little snippets and stuff to hang up next to the to the artwork and I think I submitted like 30 pieces of which they said, Hey, we're going to pick like 15. So cool. So I sent it all down and I was concerned, right? Because, um, 2002, 2004, I was a much different person than I am now. Um, and from a cultural, cultural perspective, I think we've also shifted and changed. Um, and I don't want to say that there was prejudice, um, but there was most certainly like in an us and them mentality sure. and by them, I mean the local population of where we were operating mm-hmm. in which we could not easily distinguish enemy from a uh, non-combatant. Mm-hmm. Um, so something that I battled with in my head is like, what if a viewer of this gallery goes in um, and doesn't agree with my perspective or doesn't, like my artwork or whatever and let's just say is from Iraq right and like has come to the United States and you know uh immigrated to the United States or whatever Mm -hmm. or through Mm -hmm. familial ties like we're that far apart that a college student could have been a child that we interacted with while on that deployment like there's been enough time and proximity for that to happen so I struggled a little bit but it goes back to perspective, right? And the perspective that I saw and I experienced was that of what I've displayed on a piece of paper with charcoal. Um, And I, I think I can be confident in the fact that it's not offensive. It's a perspective, right? And nothing that I do is intended to be, You know directly offensive or provocative or anything Mm -hmm. although it does evoke an emotion or maybe evokes an emotion in some viewers um it's not intended to be you know jaw-droppingly uh grotesque or um offensive or you know unified in one or another's patriotism
0: so you know one of the things that um, um kind of thinking best how to articulate listening to all this is I think a tension that we sometimes have in the military and maybe even in the country with how to present ourselves. Because while you were talking about that, I was like, you know, if you went and I'm I'm spitballing, somebody can some internet detective can go prove me wrong if if I'm off base here. But I have a feeling that if you were to go see an artwork display by let's say immediate family members of the Viet Cong, you know, in say the eighties after the Vietnam war had ended and they do a retrospective and I can see Americans going to view that and go, Oh my God, look at how they saw us. Oh, we're these terrible demons or something like that. But they're not sitting there neurotic worrying about, Oh, what are Americans? Are they we're going to offend them by them coming to see this because there's an understanding that war is an inherently high blood pressure activity where you cannot take in a holistic 360 degree view of a human being. It's like, if you're in it, and it's not only war, but it's even a wrestling match. I mean, you can't go into a wrestling match and go, where did this human being come from? Like you're in the fight. You got to focus on just the opponent you are, there. Right.
1: So, okay. My son who is seven years old does jujitsu. Right. And he is like, you brought up wrestling and, um, I brought up Dehumanizing Your Opponent, right? And his first ever jiu-jitsu match, right? So this is seven years old, super impressionable. If you've ever read Jordan B. Peterson, he -hmm. talks about the two lobsters, right? I had just finished reading chapter one of 12 Rules of Life by Jordan Peterson, and I'm like super pumped. And, you know, I'm looking at, at this, jujitsu mats as a dad i'm not a coach i'm not Mm -hmm. one of his instructors or professors i am just looking at this as a father and my son is a lobster about to go into combat and he is either going to develop genetically as a winner or a loser based on the next 30 seconds of his life so I, i like i pull him in real close and i was like look man i know this guy's got you know 10 pounds on you i know he's bigger than you but he doesn't have the drive and fight that you do. I want you to, as soon as he says go, there is one speed and that's 100%. If you give me 99%, I'm 100% dissatisfied. So 100%. This is not another kid. This is your enemy and it is kill or be killed. Let's go. He says go. And my son did like the perfect double leg takedown, bounced the kid's head off the mat. He fell out and started crying. My son at that point was like, Oh my god what have I done right and one of the other mothers came on to like tend to her her son and sportsmanship aside like yes we're going to address the sportsmanship but first I have to say that's exactly what you were supposed to do you were better prepared than he was and you have to have that drive every single time 100% do not ever let up when the the light goes green now Go make sure he's okay. Right. Like go give him a hug, go tell him he's okay. Be a good sportsmanship to the to the practicing of jujitsu. Um and since then my son's been on fire with jujitsu and awesome. he's when the light goes green, he's a different kid on the mats. Yeah. But right before the match, he's he's like tuning out everybody. And as soon as the match is over, he's like, Hey man, that was awesome. Like we had a lot of fun. I can't yeah. wait to do it again. Um Maybe you'll get me next time. Like he's really developed the sportsmanship part of it. And that makes me proud as a father. Yeah. And I think the same goes like as adults, we yeah. need to do that, right? We're in a profession of arms yeah. and our profession needs to be 100% when the light
0: turns green. I'm really glad you said that. And I'll tell you the, the particular angle I have or that I wouldn't call it a chip on my shoulder because it's not that, it doesn't bother me to that extent, but I do think it's worth mentioning doing work with veteran artists and talking with veteran artists and trying to, you know stay at the intersection of war and art or, or some warrior, some degree of warrior path in art. I think there's a misconception among a lot of artists or people in the arts community, writ large. I'm generalizing obviously, that oh hey, isn't this great? The people from the military are doing art. Now they can understand how inhumane and wrong war is. And to me, I'm like, no, like you don't get it. Like it's a path. I think art is incredibly important. It has its place. It's probably not right there when you're breaching the door. But right. afterwards, years after, when you're trying to unpack, it not only has a place and can be very therapeutic, but then if you are good at it, there's a commercial possibility. And it's a great linchpin to sync up your military service with a civilian community and let them understand. And, it's, and that's why going back to your, your quote about the stories of the GWAD demanding to be told, that I think that's so crucial. Because I think for a lot of people, they think that the turning the swords into plowshares is the end all be all of art and i'm like well turn the swords into plowshares after the swords have done what they needed to do because the swords have a job and let's let's be clear that job is incredibly important and if they don't do their job nobody's picking up a paintbrush you know that 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 doesn't happen that's really hard to do in syria you know it's like you need the swords first and then yes by all means use the art to process so i'm i'm I know this is not much of a question. It's, it's mostly just piggybacking on what you said, but I think it's really worth emphasizing because I think there's a big misconception about us in when we when we're veterans and trying to do artistic pursuits that we are somehow surrendering the warrior side of who we are and we're or or um, kind of atoning for it or shucking it in some way. And it's like, no, no, no. This is an embrace. It's a path. The warrior can become an artist. The warrior needed to exist and maybe still needs to exist in each of us individually.
1: I think there's a saying, and I'm going to butcher it, but it is better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener at war. And um, to have the skills of being an artist and and the art of storytelling, because that's what it is, right? Um, It's the art of storytelling. One of the things the Marine Corps prides itself in is our history. And there's a couple of really notable individuals on social media right now that are turning the tides in terms of utilizing social media as a means to engage and promote like good and critical thinking. Um, and he says, you know, our one battles from yesteryear do not predict our ability to operate in the future. Um, So don't rest on your laurels in the idea that what we've done in our past dictates our victory in the future, Um, which I think is totally, totally applicable, um, Mm -hmm. especially now in this, um, you know, interwar
0: period. (laughs) Right. Or whatever it is (laughs) right now. I know. who knows. I'm I'm not crazy, right? It feels like like there has definitely been a changing of the guard in the last year or two. Right. I mean, I I I got out in 21, in February of 21, but I felt like I was leaving at the right. I was like, yeah, I think this is the tactical, the capital T, capital P tactical pause moment. (laughs) Uh, And not that the GWAT, I guess, really technically still is going on, but no, it it ended on New Year's Day. Oh, what did it really?
1: Officially. And now you've got young, young folks walking around with the national defense ribbon, calling guys without it boots. Oh, dear God.
0: Wow. (laughs) <laughs> so what are we doing in Iraq? That's not the GWAD anymore. That's what 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 is yeah, that? That's, now? That's
1: uh, I think partner building or something. Mm-hmm. I don't. Okay, I'm not.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, idea. interesting. Okay, yeah. um, do you do any art besides military art in your own time for your own sake? Just even just for yourself, or does yeah. all yes. kind of always come back to the military and to war combat art?
1: So let me give some background on who I am. Uh, maybe we should have started with this. No, bit, I, I know uh, I'm
0: jumping all over the place and I, 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 yeah. I we definitely will drill down on your, on your, your bio <laughs> and your, in your whole life, but yeah, I'm, I'm so, approaching it from left field. Yeah. It's good.
1: It's good. So I started my Marine Corps career after September 11th, I enlisted in the Marine Corps. I dropped out of college. The only college class that I was going to was art. Um, it's the only one that I was drawn to no pun intended. Um, I wanted to be a pharmacist. happened and I said, Hey, I've, I've got to do something. Um, so my brother was in the Marine Corps at the time. Um, I called him up and I said, Hey man, I want to do something in this medical field. And he's like, well, you're going to have to join the Navy and the chances of you becoming a greenside corpsman are pretty slim. Just join the Marines. We have better uniforms anyway. So I was sold. I enlisted in the Marine Corps. Um, I was, you know, doing my thing with, uh, some artillery units I was an ammo tech um, so the guy that like counts bullets and is the subject matter on explosives to so do all that stuff uh, then I became a warrant officer I did that for a couple of years and then um, it's even more of a niche community I became a limited duty officer um, but as a warrant officer I was stationed in Quantico where the Marine Corps does the basic school. And the basic school is 100% of officers go through this uh, foundational course, which teaches humans leadership through the lens of the infantry platoon commander. Um, one time a year, they do the Warren officer basic course. So this, for anybody who's not tracking, anybody who is previously enlisted, doesn't have a college degree, but is in a job, that is specifically you know, uh, technical, they've got the warrant officer program. Um, you apply to it, you you know, go up in the chain of command in, in terms of hierarchy, like a uh, chief warrant officer outranks the senior enlisted guy, but still is outranked by every other conventional officer. So you become this like little subject matter expert and you wear different rankings in you. Um, you're, and you're not so a the warrant lieutenant. Officer, and you're not, yeah, you're not a third lieutenant. <laughs> Don't you dare you're think like you're the a third wise, lieutenant, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're the wise old man, you know, that, that you're just the old guy who knows everything. Um, anyway, those warrant officers go through an abbreviated version of the basic school. They remove the requirements for like um, swim qualification, rifle range, pistol range, and martial arts training, right? So that takes two months out of the training cycle. They go to Quantico for four months and learn— officer leadership through the lens of a infantry platoon commander. That course is instructed by other um, it is instructed by Marine officers at the grade of captain. Um, So when warrant officers come through, some of these guys have been in you know 12, 13, you know, up to 16 years, right? Enlisted, then go through a course to learn how to be a leader by a guy who's been doing this for five or six years, right? So it's a big paradigm shift for these guys like mental housing group and um, to enable effective leadership through that course, what they do is they open the invitation to all the chief warrant officers that work in that area and say, hey, would you like to be an assistant to the platoon commander and help him teach the nuanced things that warrant officers do or are expected of them? So I had volunteered for that for a couple of years. Um, and it's totally effective. The, the number one thing you tell these guys is like, hey, I got it. You've been in the Marine Corps for 15 years. He's been in the Marine Corps for five years. But he's got a Mameluke sword and has been an officer for five years. And you haven't even purchased yours yet. So like, listen to what he says because there's value in it. Um, anyway, I got paired up with a couple of really great captains um, as a chief warrant officer assisting with uh, Warren Officer Basic Course. But really interesting, I got paired up with this guy, um, CJ Bauman, who um, I walked into his office one day and he's got these like incredible drawings on his walls, right? I think like I'm gesturing for the podcast, but on the wall behind me in this video, there's a piece hanging on my wall of his. Um, but I was like, hey, can you talk to me about these? These are awesome. Like I did a long time with artillery. Tell me about this artillery piece. And just like we opened this conversation with his artwork piqued my interest Mm -hmm. to start and engage in a conversation. And he, at that point was like, yeah, so I'm in the Marine Corps combat art program. And I'm like, wait, what is that? Right. And then we started diving down this rabbit hole. A couple months later, COVID happens um, forces everybody into a lockdown. And I, so this
0: was recently. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This
1: was 2020. So, you know, totally influenced by this, this, uh, captain who does drawings and sketches. I was like, man, maybe, maybe I'm inspired. And if I can't go out and do what I want, maybe I'll just like crack open a couple of books and take to the internet and try to figure out how to draw again. So I did. And I started drawing and sketching and stuff and showed some of the work to him. And I'm sure, you know, at the time he was like, yeah, man, these are great. You should totally like keep doing it because it's not that great. Right. (laughs) Um, But he gave some really critical analysis and Mm. he was like, hey, man, so these are good, but this is what I think you should focus on.
0: And and just to Um, be clear, just to interrupt for one second: you had not been drawing on your spare time since college.
1: Yeah. So I had designed unit t-shirts and logos and and coins and and painted our unit logo on the side of trucks and stuff like that. Nothing, nothing cool, nothing good. This was, you know, before the digital age, this was all like a pencil drawing. And I was like, yeah, let's throw this on a t-shirt and raise some money for the Marine Corps ball.
0: But were you the kind of guy that when left to your own devices in your downtime, you would have a sketch pad or you would doodle? or not like no but be- okay
1: before but- meeting cj bauman i played guitar and i ran ultra marathons gotcha like i never gotcha
0: yeah, we're-
1: i hyper on one thing at a time mm. right so it was yeah it was hyper fixation on um running triathlons and then that turned into running ultra marathons and then that turned into um something else and then not to say like i've completed those tasks and i don't need to master them anymore but it's always something to learn yeah. right yeah. and there's always like a science and an art to it so in both aspects like i was drawn to do this art thing and then you know cj provided me some very relevant guidance and i mm. hey mean your drawings are good but if you're not drawing from life you're um curbing your ability What does that so
0: explain that? What do you mean drawing to
1: draw from life means like to actually go out in an environment with a sketch pad and like there's some marine sitting over there, Mm. draw them right opposed to a, a photographic reference. If I look at a you know if I look at my phone, that image is already in two dimensions. I can quickly you know measure it with a pencil and figure out how far his nose is from his ear. And I can mm. convert those measurements to a piece of paper. It's already in two dimensions, and it's not moving. When you're drawing from life, you're trying to capture the essence of a scene, not just the subject in which you're drawing. So um, that has been a hobby of mine. It's really difficult to find the time to do it because you're balancing, you know, being a father, a husband, um, a full-time marine, a you know, student to your craft, and then doing this artwork gig yeah. so it's it's like the trifecta of balance um, and if you can achieve that balance it's pretty good
0: did you get a billet did you get a combat artist billet
1: yeah so um I had listened to the Chris battles episode um, wow. earlier this week and he introduced the Marine Corps combat art program um so the Marine Corps published this message to all hands and said, hey, we're looking for combat artists. We're looking for people with very specific skill sets. If you have them, put together a portfolio and submit it um, along with some other like administrative stuff. So I did that, counseled by C.J. Bauman. Um, I put together my portfolio. We you know, reviewed 40 images and came up with mm-hmm. the best 20. Um, And put them in a portfolio, submitted them to the National Museum of the Marine Corps, uh, along with the curator, the um, director of the museum, the the artist in residence, Chris Battles, and a panel of other former combat artists. They voted. Um, I don't know how many total applicants they got, but I think out of everything that was submitted, three were selected, of which I was
0: one. Wow. What did that mean to you when you were selected? I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm sure you were happy, but I mean, did it, was it just only validation or was there another takeaway that you had from it? Did it mean something about where your life was headed or what talent lay within that maybe had been dormant for a while? Like, what did you take away from that?
1: So I'm going to answer that by telling a story. I can remember when I was a staff sergeant, um, I was you know, shooting the shit with the Marines in the office one day. And um, I was like, damn it if I don't have duty this weekend like I gotta go stand um duty I gotta stand by this phone on a Saturday for 24 hours and if it rings I gotta answer right like it's it's pain in the ass nobody wants to do it I'd much rather be riding my bike or running um and just so happened this guy sergeant major Dave Job, who was our regimental sergeant major was walking outside the office and heard me say that and Yoked me up real quick and said hey i just want to let you know that you don't have to stand duty and i was like oh sweet like i don't i don't have duty this weekend and he's like no 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 you get to stand duty and i was i was like what well, again a shift of perspective not everybody has the chance to do the things that when you get thanks for your service like that uh, includes standing for duty yeah right um so so not to say that i have to do combat art i get to right and that there's a validation piece that comes along with it and a an official piece that comes along with it and um it's it's really interesting that i have the potential to participate in such a grand project which is the marine corps combat art collection and that my works can be submitted and then you know taken care of for yeah. eternity in history. Yeah. Um, and going up to the National Museum of the Marine Corps, you see some incredible artwork in the galleries there. But what's more awesome in my personal eye is we got a chance to go to the uh, museum support facility, which is a couple of miles away from the museum. And that's where like the no kidding archives are. So you're seeing like the iconic paintings of Iwo Jima Um, and these original sketches drawn in Peleliu with, uh, like no kidding carbon from a bonfire. And you're just like, man, this is incredible. And they're on rice paper or on the back of ammo boxes. And you're like, this is combat art. This is the essence of it. And just as much as a warfighter has a legacy to uphold Mm -hmm. in a firefight. So too, does a combat artist have a legacy to uphold, to bring to bear the, you know, 70 years that the Marine Corps Combat Art Program has been in existence.
0: Can you assess yourself as an artist, how you are now versus how you were when you first got into the program? Because you haven't been in that long, but I mean, how has it been exponential growth with that billet and just the opportunities and the time to focus on it?
1: So there's a networking aspect to it, which is really cool because um, you get a critical eye that other words would overlook you completely. Um, That's cool. But when I look back at like some of my first pieces of artwork from when I very first started taking a serious look at artwork, um, I look at them now and it's almost cringeworthy but I show them to friends and they're like, man, this is actually really incredible. Um, but it's hit or miss, right? Um, the, the benefit to doing artwork long time. And when I look at some of these mentors, speed and accuracy are the two things that I'm trying to achieve that they're nailing down. Mm. And generationally that happens, you know, that struggle occurs at every corner. CJ is my mentor His mentor is a guy named Richard Johnson, um, who on social media is at News Illustrator. And you can see a lot of Richard Johnson's flavor and influence in CJ's work, Um, some of his work, right? Mm -hmm. CJ's incredibly talented and has a whole lot of different disciplines. Um, But just in the same, you can see like these family tree Mm-hmm. lines of mm-hmm. influence from mm-hmm. generation to generation um and when you look at you know s- certain people's style you can see little glimpses of that style in their mentor or or, or vice versa you can see little glimpses of influence transcend the generations and being able to get that kind of access for feedback across a spectrum of disciplines between Mm. courtroom sketchers and painters and, Mm. um, you know, urban sketchers and all these different disciplines coming together to provide you critique and influence. Um, Specifically, I I provided a brief during the um, sixth annual national museum of the Marine Corps combat art symposium. And, CJ and I before I was accepted into the program I invited him down to the unit that I was in uh, and I said hey let's let's go draw this unit um and it's a marine special operations company so mm-hmm. it's it's pretty niche it's really like interesting to look at so we we go out and on day 1 my stuff is trash CJ's cranking them out left and right and he's mm-hmm. firing on all cylinders and I'm mm-hmm. Trying to figure out where the key is to start the truck. Um, we do this for like three or four days. We go back to the studio, we work some more stuff. And when it's all finalized, we come up with our product list. So at the National Museum of the Marine Corps, we're briefing this engagement and the rapport that we've established and the insider outsider boundaries um, mm. and all of these different dynamics that go into creating artwork that documents the Marine Corps' history. Well, I've got my images up on the big screen cj had just briefed his images and i'm just trying to mimic him none of these people know who i am they all know cj because cj's been part of the program mm-hmm. i'm just the new guy so i've got my drawing which is 18 by 24 charcoal sketch blown up onto this movie screen with people that i've been reading about and studying in books right sitting in the audience And I've got my clicker and I'm like, "Yep, this is a Marine that was like uh, hanging out doing something next. Uh, This is a guy that was like hanging out and uh, about to shoot his gun next. All right. And here and from the stands, I heard Victor Juhasz, who's Mm. a brilliant illustrator, just scream, stop, shut up, go back three slides. Let us look at that. Let us really analyze what you're thinking about. And he started critiquing it. And he was like, number one, you were the biggest critique of your work because you don't appreciate it. Doesn't mean that everybody else can't. Uh-huh. So even though you don't like it or you think you messed up, just shut up. Let other people draw those conclusions. You did this awesome thing with these leading lines and drawing the attention to, to the outside and bringing these people in from the darkness into the light. And like, he really starts going crazy wow. in this analysis. Yeah. And I leaned over to CJ and I said, Hey, CJ, anything that I did good in this drawing was purely unintentional. Um, so I can't take credit for it. Like it just happened. And he's like, Mike, that's exactly why you need to be part of the program because you're doing these things with without even the intuition to try to build it that way. You've got the vision and that's what we need to um, figure out. So that was a really cool element
0: too. It seems to me, and this is something I talked about, I think, with Chris. You probably know better than I do, because since you just listened to the episode, you've listened to it a lot more recently than I did it. Um, There seems to be a tension, I would imagine, between an artist's natural, I don't want to say narcissism, because that's a little too strong, but an artist's natural need to express themselves and the mission to illustrate the stories of the Marine Corps. Do you find that because when you, especially when we're talking about speed and accuracy um, you know, okay, accuracy, sure. Obviously there can't help, but be your DNA in that accuracy. Cause it's your perception. It's your, it's your hand. It's your eye. That's influencing all of it. Do you think there is, do you find that to be a tension where you're going, Hey, if I were left to my own devices, I would capture this and I'd kind of give the sense of it because there's kind of a spiritual sense of this scene that I'm trying to capture. I'm not as worried about the you know the patches and the tabs and the buttons and the you know where the finger placement is that's not as interesting to me and therefore you have to slow down and capture those because the Marine Corps is asking you to or is it something that's very easy that you're like, no, I really want to do exactly what the Marine Corps is asking me and anything that I do whatever, is going on in my head or whatever my impulses are is secondary or tertiary and i'm not as worried about that is that attention am i i'm again I'm, I'm kind of hypothesizing on things i could see possibly being an issue
1: so i don't think so right whenever you are drawing it is a reference right so we refer to things to be able to capture the essence of a scene and the beauty is i can take an artist like elise mckelvey who's a marine corps combat artist and I can take an individual like Chris Battles, pair them up on the exact same subject, right? There is a Marine standing next to a Humvee. Mm-hmm. And the two products that they're going to pr- produce are going to be night and day different, but both accurate representations of what we're looking right. at. This right. is the difference between looking at Norman Rockwell on the cover of Time Magazine versus uh, the cover of Mad Magazine with mm. um, you know somebody else. They both you know, show the scene of somebody bringing a turkey into the Thanksgiving dinner, right? right? Right. One is much more cartoonist in their style. One is much more accurate representation in their style. However, like both are incredible methods of expressing what's going on. And that's really what the Marine Corps is after with their combat artist. Tell America what the Marines are doing. And um, the very cool thing that I've experienced or learned about is that the Marine Corps' combat art program tries to pair up people with differing values in terms of uh, how they see things. If you can get, mm. um, and I'm going to use Victor Uhas and Richard Johnson as two of the civilian combat artists, because their styles are um, very different. And if you look at Victor Juhasz, he's with us, he's just never stopping. Whereas Richard is extremely Um, um, deliberate with his marks. mm -hmm. Um, And it's, they both produce incredible images. Um, So it's important to be able to balance those different talents in an effort to produce the best looking artwork that tells the best story. And If there's one thing I can harp on about the Marine Corps combat art program, um, we had a guy named Major Eric Cash come out and speak at the symposium. And he brought to light some really good things from a non-artist's perspective about the Marine Corps combat art program. Art, in its essence, is designed to make people think, right? And it it doesn't do anything more than, you know, Indicate the tip of the iceberg for a greater conversation. And the thing I want to take away from from art, like the thing I want from art is to be able to invoke a conversation which makes people think more critically. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I really appreciate about it is if I can grab a group of Marines led by a young NCO, stand around a picture or painting and have them have a discussion surrounding three different questions. What do you see? What can you infer? And what else do you see? That allows them to start beginning to think critically of what they're looking at. So they scan their environment and they're more combat effective simply because they're opening the envelope of critical thinking. And that's supported by data that uh harvard medical school did a a study on doctors and dentists going through their curriculum and those who had studied fine art or taken an art elective class had an increased rate of initial diagnostic on their patients compared to those who did not so a dentist who looked at fine art Mm. or practiced fine art or did bread making, had a better ability to diagnose a patient's periodontal disease versus somebody who did not on the first time because they're looking for anomalies in their environment. And that's exactly what we're asking our Marines to do. If you're out on patrol, I want you to look for the pieces of disturbed earth and be able to effectively communicate that to the rest of your platoon so nobody steps on an IED and dies. And if I can do that through the lens of teaching art or studying fine art, then that's a win for me.
0: Where does feeling come in? And I'm saying that because my my glib answer when people ask about the effect of art is always that I think it was Bob Dylan that said the greatest thing an artist can do is inspire. And I'm when I'm thinking of that, I think and based on what you were just saying, I was like sometimes like I I know I know you know this feeling of being downrange kind of at the low ebb of your energy, low ebb of your enthusiasm. And somebody pops on a movie that kind of makes you remember why the fuck you're doing this all in the first place, you know? And it's like that little boost, that little booster of inspiration, a booster shot of inspiration that makes you go, Oh yeah, fuck. Yeah. That's why I do this. Right. And I, do you see that in your art as well? And in, the Marine Corps combat, our programs as well, that there's a role it has to inspire either active Marines, but also maybe future Marines that it can inspire people to go, shit. Yeah. I, I can't analyze it. I don't either don't know enough to analyze it or I, uh, you know, I'm not as interested in, in the details, but the effect of it is something that makes me want to get off my ass and do X, Y, and Z. Is there something totally. to
1: that? I have folks reach out to me on social media all the time. Um, with some sort of connection to the artwork that I've got. Um, and in addition, I use social media to tell stories of, to recount the stories of of Valor in recent years, um, specifically on a platform, TikTok, right? So um, much like when I was young in the Marine Corps, we would sit around an NCO and uh, on a training exercise or something, we didn't have a whole lot going on. We would start talking and thinking critically about these war heroes. Right. And I use that term kind of loosely because I don't think anybody wants to be called a war hero, but we would talk about people like Sergeant Mitchell page and John Bass alone and, um, you know, Chesty puller, like all the big, mm-hmm. sure. big world war II guys. Um, and we would start breaking down their different things. Well, this is during a time where our generation has those same war heroes, but nobody's talking about them. Right. So right. like right. we went through recruit training and the, the crucible where we went over the John Bassalone obstacle. And this was the, um, you know, whatever two full Hunden Hill or, or something. Right. Well, well, nobody's talking about the, you know, the Dunham or the carpenter or the Vigiani actions that have happened in the last 10 years. So I've turned to social media to start telling some of those stories. And sometimes it's uh, expressed through my artwork and I'll draw a picture of a person and then tell the story about that person. Um, And that's, that's cool, right? We get to illustrate some of that. But they, those stories always get a ton of traffic. And um, I get folks all the time. They're like, Hey man, I was going to join the military, but I didn't know what branch in the Marine Corps is it now. Like I figured it out. That's what I want to do based purely on this 92nd video.
0: Um,
1: And that to me is pretty life-changing. And I think that's stoking a fire, you know, stoking the flame of somebody else's fire just a little bit but really putting to, putting into fruition something that, you know, can
0: actually work. Do you do other art? I forgot to get back to I, circle back to that. Yeah, Do you, we didn't, we, uh, do, do, you do other stuff? I mean, is it on your own? Is it, is it something you feel you need to do or is it like, Hey, look, the thing that turns me on is the war story. And that's what I'm going to keep gravitating to even in my own free time, even just for myself. Or is there times where you just are like, Hey, let me get away from that for a second, or I want to do something else for a minute.
1: So being a creative, you're always looking to do something. An idle hand and an idle brain make you get old. So I'm always doing something. I've always got a sketchbook. Um, military art is cool. And as a Marine Corps combat artist, um, you don't get tasked every day to go draw something so you're drawing whatever you can just to keep the skill set fresh gotcha um but i do enjoy drawing and painting other things i've got hundreds of sketches of my kids um just because you know they're always generally around me sitting still somewhat um i've got you know sketches of the house and out in town and the pier where i surf at and you know there was some surf inspired artwork that i've done there was some other stuff um but it's you know it's always experimentation and Mm -hmm. experimentation breeds creativity creativity breeds experimentation so it's a catch-22 kind of situation where if all you do is draw pictures of marines like you're you get very niched very quick. Um, but if you can branch out and experiment in some other stuff, then that's also really cool. Um, but primarily I try to do the military art thing, um, just because it, those are cool stories to tell. It's, um, it's not to say that I don't do other things. A couple of weeks ago, I was in a couple of months ago, I was in Fredericksburg, Virginia, visiting some friends. We went out to a baseball game, but before we went to the baseball game, I grabbed my sketchbook. Um, I told my wife, Hey, I'll be back in a couple of hours. I went into downtown Fredericksburg. There's a ton of history there. And I saw the courthouse and I was like, Hey, this might be cool to try to draw. So I sat there for an hour and I drew the courthouse. Um, and then you research it and figure out some of the history behind it. And then you try to put together a story about it. And, um,
0: you know, it was, it was cool. What does that look like? Well, tell me about that. We see you put together a story. So you're sitting there, you're, you basically are killing time constructively by right. drawing this so when you say you're going to tell a story about it do you mean like verbally or like you're going to do a series of pictures that tell a story about the courthouse or like what does that mean exactly
1: yeah so i'm not quite in the the um i i haven't quite achieved the you know panel of artwork that i can use as like a publication to talk about it but anytime you draw, anytime I draw something, I need to figure out why it's interesting other than just visually, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what are the stories? And, and going back to those three questions that I would ask the corporal to ask is what do you see? Um, what can you infer from what you see and what else do you see, right? So what I see is a building, right? And what what facts do I know about that building or what can I figure out? Well, the building's relatively new I don't think the courthouse is brand new in this town, right? This this town has existed since the 1700s. It had to have replaced something else. Where's that courthouse? Um, and what was the, you know, who practiced law at that courthouse? And why is this building new? Did the old building have renovations or whatever? So if you can pull out some of those nice. facts through your own research, then you can tell a story, whether it be an Instagram story that, you know, a hundred people see or look at, Um, but it's, it's interesting to some people and how do you pique that interest in those people who have interest in what you're doing or drawing or talking about?
0: So it's like attaching a really cool, it's like attaching a really cool caption to the painting, to the, to the. Exactly. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. Got you. Got you. Got you.
1: Is is why is this relevant? Right. And how do we bring relevancy to it?
0: Yeah, no, I, that makes complete sense. Besides subject matter, do you experiment with mediums, with different media as well? So you talk about painting and all that. Talk about that. Like, what media are you comfortable in? What are you not comfortable in? What do you want to get more comfortable in? Is there any difference?
1: Yeah, so um, I think I take comfort in charcoal. Um, it's just something that I've, It, it it's what I worked at with when I was in college it was what I was really introduced to mm-hmm. um and by college I mean I took 8 weeks of a uh, draw naked people class um so it's what I worked with in college it was it's really loose it's easy to push around on paper you can get great you know variation and value from darks to lights um I've taken to the experimentation with watercolors um, in a very basic premise. And I've looked into oil paints, right? So wow. I'm only starting to break the surface with these things. And they're all things that I, I would very much so love to be able to sit down and do an oil painting. Um, I just don't know that much about it because I'm 100% self-taught. So everything that I'm learning is through watching instructional videos on, on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. Wow. And then what I can get influenced by, by my mentors and friends. Um, So it's super interesting. It's really cool to be able to take apart somebody else's work and figure out how they did it. Um, But the iPad is introducing so much to artists in their ability to create really awesome pieces of visual art. And digital art is an emerging Thing probably within the last five or six years, with the creation of an iPad and programs like Procreate and Adobe and all these other things, Um, because you can simulate oil painting for nine dollars and ninety nine cents. You know, two easy payments of four ninety nine. You can simulate all those things. Vice, if I try to get into oil painting, I've got to go buy canvases or boards. I've got to buy brushes. I've got to buy different pigments i've got to get thinners and brush washes and all of these different things and then i've got to figure out how to actually use them if i can do that for free on my ipad then once i've i don't want to say mastered it but once i've got it figured out here i can try to translate that to traditional methods Um, and that's that's really cool and kind of how i'm building the experimentation that breeds creativity
0: is there any doctrine about being able to take an iPad with you to sketch in the combat art program? Or is there is a the doctrine that you have to do it with a sketchbook because you don't want to rely on electronics or anything.
1: So I'm not a hundred percent certain on like the very specifics. Yeah. I should I have asked have Chris battles you,
0: this, yeah, but, yeah, Chris, but, but you're bringing it up and it's an interesting, I hadn't thought of it. Before.
1: So in recent discussions, I mean, even with Chris, like it is, um, it's it's new territory right and one of the big concerns is where is the original and you get into um you get into uh curation and all this other stuff but like where does the original reside and without getting into like nft talk and the blockchain or bitcoin right, or whatever right. it is where's the original everything is a print of a digital piece of artwork so i think there's some concerns there that the you know, all of the services need to figure out relatively quick, uh, because it's it's a really useful tool. And that's what it needs to be considered is a tool. Just as much as a ruler is mm-hmm. to an artist a tool, um, so too is an iPad. So um And especially for you guys,
0: right? Because now totally, when you're totally kidding up, it's like, dude, it's an iPad. It's not my brushes and an easel and all that, right? Yeah.
1: Right, right um and it's it's completely transportable it's easy um but one of the cool things is your sketchbook should be your journal and by saying that like in comparison to an author an author's finished book and published book is not just a copy of his sketchbook the sketchbook provides you the reference notes for which you later convert into a finished piece of fine art. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sometimes those original sketches can become the fine art just as much as sometimes an art, uh, uh, you know, an author can write a note on a piece of paper and then that gets published as a quote. Mm -hmm. So too can that happen. Right. But ultimately what, My perception is, is that your sketchbook is a tool to later develop your scenario because we're looking at a reference. We're not looking to replicate exactly what we see, but we're trying to convey the message of the scene right in an immersive experience. So if I can do that with my iPad um, and then convert it to an original painting or picture, uh, I think I'm achieving what the Marine Corps is after.
0: This is kind of a random question. Um, If instead of C.J. Bauman, instead of running into him and having the experience you had with him that kind of affected the trajectory of your career. If I can't think of an apples to apples comparison, but if let's let's just hypothesize some um, arts collective on the Lower East Side of Manhattan approached you and said, hey, Mike, leave the Marine Corps. Come out here with us somehow we're we're really well financed we'll give you a salary we'll do everything that the marine corps arts program does for you We'll you'll have your work in 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 perpetuity well preserved and all that come out here and you know we'll have everything we'll have you know models and nude models we'll have still life we'll have different stuff we'll have different assignments we want to give you we have some super rich guy that's funding all this and you can do that I'll just leave the Marine Corps, come out here and do this. If that offer had been made to you at the same time as you ran into C.J. Bauman, would that have been as appealing to you just for the opportunity to go, wow, somebody sees my talent and wants to help nurture me in this way? Or was there something about it being the Marine Corps and a furtherance of the career you had already had up to that point that made it more appealing to do that in the Marines?
1: So without a doubt, I would have turned down that offer simply based on the idea that I had first enlisted in the Marine Corps based on patriotism and a desire to serve my country. Being an artist or being anything other than a Marine is icing on the cake, right? But foundationally, if you have a plate of icing and no cake, nobody wants to eat that. The thing that 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 makes me who I am is the foundational bedrock of being a Marine first and an artist second. And I think that's the really effective part of the Marine Corps combat art program is that all of their artists are organically Marines first.
0: sure,
1: And that art is a secondary action of being a Marine to be able to tell that story. So for the uniformed guys, that's really important to know. Um, or anybody who has the potential to apply to the program is you are a Marine first and an artist second, Um, just in the sense that, you know, every Marine is a rifleman, right? Um, Granted there is a distinction between big R being in the infantry and little R being everybody else. But, um, but every Marine is a rifleman, just as much, you know, you are a warfighter first before, you are a bulk fuel specialist or ammunition technician Mm -hmm. or, or whatever you serve a a greater purpose, bigger than yourself. And that to me is, is not worth being compensated, um, you know, above and beyond anything else. The, the patriotism that I feel from service is, um, an unbeatable price. And I've, I've told myself that every opportunity where I've had to either stay in or get out, as soon as I'm not having fun or enjoying what I'm doing, and it it is a pendulum swing. It goes sure. from extreme end to extreme end right. where some days you're having a blast and some days you are at the bottom of the barrel. Um, but as long as the median of that pendulum swing stays on the positive side, I will stay in it. And so far, I've had those really good days and I've had those really bad days, but the median of that has been Um, let's continue this path. And if a day comes where I no longer enjoy what I do, I will get out and I will allow somebody else who's got a full pendulum swing Mm -hmm. to progress and take my spot. But but yeah, that's no doubt. Where were you born? Where were you raised? So I was born outside of Philadelphia uh, in the suburbs of Philadelphia, about 45 minutes north of the city. Um, And I moved around quite a bit. My father was um in uh, he did something with like rail cars. There's the public rail car system in Philadelphia, and then that got bought out by Kawasaki Railcar. So we moved, you know, to to Detroit and did some stuff there. And then, wow. you know, my parents split. My dad moved up to Massachusetts and New York. But interesting enough, and I didn't find this out really until Uh, later in life he also did artwork so he was artistically talented and did all these oil paintings of rail cars for their advertisements. so like all of his oil painting stuff i had no idea Um, and he passed away a couple of years ago and i'm i'm trying to get you know hey does he have any paintings and um you know my stepmom and some other family members are like hey we'll send you his brushes and his oil look i can i can buy all that stuff i don't care about that i care about like what did he produce so it's cool i think there's a generational thing associated we're going down a different rabbit hole i think there's a generational thing when it comes to art yes as well or genetic component to it so my father was artistic his father was artistic and now in my children one is like a brainiac and like always Mm. doing something scientifically, but you can see how he's got that critical thinking analysis and artistic Mm. gene. The other one is an artist. He's always drawing something and it's so cool to be able to take what I'm learning and what I'm learning and convey that down to a seven-year-old brain and then say, Hey, instead of drawing the cup, draw the cup that's on a counter in the kitchen. And next thing you know, he's working on it. And I said, look, shapes, right? And we take open a book together and we're both reading it and studying it. And then we go do prac app and what he's producing versus what I'm producing influences what I produce. And what I produce influences what it's so cool
0: to be able to watch. That's Very cool. I want to, since we're all talking about that, before I get back to you and your life, what's your view of arts especially at early ages. And I say that because I think I've mentioned this before on the show. Um, Once I I was talking with a woman who'd gone to Juilliard for, I think acting or writing anyway. um, But so she was clearly talented, but she was working a hourly job as a supervisor in a call center. And she said, um, and she was like, and she was a supervisor and she was like cracking the whip and on top of everybody. And I remember her saying, Um, And making a point of saying to me, she's like, the worst thing you can be as an artist is good at something else because everything's easier than art. And if you're good at anything else, you will always take that over your art. And as a result, and, and she's like, so her point being, obviously, that if you're a successful artist, it's because you weren't good at anything else. And therefore, you were able to dedicate yourself fully to your art. And, and simultaneously, the curse of being competent. And I've thought about that a lot, um, n- Not obviously not 100% uh, agreeing with it, but I think it's an interesting idea because I've certainly known a lot of artists who have struggled at very basic tasks in life, uh, but be wildly talented and wildly imaginative in their own art. But at the same time, um, you know, we're seeing in the veteran community, and you are a living proof of you know, going down a warrior path and then finding an artistic respite and artistic way of messaging your experiences is crucial. So now when you see your son developing those capabilities, what's your read on it? Where do you, what art, what place do you think art should have for kids and for people that maybe haven't had the chance to get dirt under their nails yet what role do you think it has? Do you think uh, it, Does it need to take, uh, you know, a top tier billing in their lives if they're interested? Or is it the kind of thing that should be, you know, done really as an extracurricular? I mean, how do you feel about it?
1: So back to another quote, a jack of all trades is a master of none. It's not where it ends. It continues and says, but a, um, a jack of all trades is a master of none. But a master of one is better than a master, master of none, none. Yeah, right. Yeah. Or a jack, something like that. But but essentially, saying um, the more well-rounded you are, the more you know you can tie into a myriad of different challenges. And ultimately, as a parent, I think it's important not to prepare ourselves or our children for a specific career path but rather to engage their brains to be able to handle any situation that comes their way, because we're a generation away from, you know, being the same United States that we are now. And it could be very different 20 years from now than what we're used to right now. Uh, And I think my parents would have said the same thing when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. So it's, you want to establish two different things, particularly with my children, the things that I want to establish is roots and wings, right? So I want them to be rooted in the foundation of being a wholesome individual in society um, and having firm um, beliefs, right? But I also want to give them the freedom to be able to explore the world around them and be able to think critically of their environment and be able to effectively perform no matter what their task is and if i can do those things i i think it's best said as providing our children with roots and wings and where does the artwork come into that piece i think art is a feather upon the wings in which they use to fly and it is only a tool that they can put in their belt to be able to see where they want to go and if he, I see my artwork come out in simple things like attention to detail, right? In my day-to-day mm-hmm. job as a Marine, um, granted I'm at a, a point now where I prepare PowerPoint presentations and stuff, right? But it's, it's those subtle art things like the golden rule or go, golden ratio of, you know, when you look at it, it's 1.618. Um, to play that into the font size of a PowerPoint slide makes it easier to read and makes it more attractive mm. to the eye. And it makes people like not freak out, right? Mm. But if I just pick fonts at random that don't make any sense and I just said, okay, that looks good to me. Well, well, why does it look good to you? It it probably looks good. Like if you ever look at something on a uh, graphic design, it looks good because it follows that golden ratio of 1.618, right? So when you look at a font size, uh, you'll increase or decrease it by that golden ratio depending on where it falls in the PowerPoint slide so so little subtle nuances like that have have that understanding of art has absolutely nothing to do with the manpower slide that I'm putting together to figure out where 75 people are going this summer but it does play into the fact of, it's one less thing distracting and I can get you to look at the subject in which I'm trying to get you to focus on. That to me is a win.
0: Interesting. That's, I think it's, I, I, and I'll just say the roots and wings thing I think is a beautifully effective way of looking at, at education. I think that's really, that's really sharp. I really like that for you growing up you had no artistic interest. Did you have some artistic interest? Who were you as a kid? Were you an athlete more or what were you focused on?
1: So as a student, I was a student. Um, I ended up getting a academic scholarship to Temple University through high school. So academics, I really enjoyed artwork. And every single one of my notebooks was, every book had a scribble in it or there was some doodle or drawing and i can remember sitting in we had study hall and the first time um and it was like an hour-long block of you know you're supposed to sit in silence and you know work on your homework or whatever um but i can remember sitting in this auditorium with my notebook and drawing a perspective drawing where you know in the drawing you see my hand my notebook the seats around me and the other students and the little teacher way down here at the bottom of the page um, and the big auditorium and the curtains and completely immersive like a like a 3d photo Um, and then it's really cool i was doing that 20 22 years ago when i was in high school and then to watch people like paul heaston who's on instagram who is fantastic at doing that and being able to look at his work now and be like, man, that's awesome. I was doing the high school version of what he's doing professionally now. And had I seen his work 25 years ago, what would my trajectory be? Um, but yeah, as a student in high school, um, I think I was academically gifted in the fact that like I enjoyed schoolwork i enjoyed learning um i was always trying to learn something new um i stayed i did different you know sports and and extracurricular activities in high school um i started working at a i think 14 my first job was at a donut shop mopping floors um and then from 14 you know up until i joined the marine corps i I had a job i was on a I was on the track team. Um, I played lacrosse. I was on the bowling team because I was trying to chase a girl who was on the bowling team. Um, I was a terrible bowler. But, uh, you know, it's it was fun, you know. And there's, there's the young adolescence that goes through learning how to live life and, you know, thinking that everything that you're doing is correct. When in fact, it's not. You're just, it's discovery by learning. Um, and I think I capitalized on that. And then it was ultimately like the reality of life hit when I watched those, uh, airplanes hit the twin towers. And I said, look, this is, I can continue to chase my tail and figure out what different alcohol tastes like, or I can join the Marine Corps and do something that's
0: greater than myself. So that and you can still passion. find out what different alcohols taste like in the Marine absolutely, Corps. Too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Get paid for it. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. You just. You're- you, you right, taste them
1: in different parts of the country.
0: That, that's right, and so it's different parts of the world too. You know, you get, you'd, exactly you'd, right. get, it, get it, even pure, uh, pure strains of alcohol. <laughs> so, I'm interested, though, that you said um, I forget his name. Did you say Paul Hastings? John Hastings was uh,
1: Paul Heaston.
0: Paul Heaston. H-E-A-S-T-O-N. Sorry, i T O N. I'm interested that you said if you'd seen his work in high school, you could have had a whole different trajectory. And I don't want to put too much weight on that, but that's interesting because it seems like you were very to use the very 2022 word you were very intentional with your life and how and the choices you made do you is there a part of you that does wonder how life could have played out differently had you not enlisted in the marines or had you found art earlier
1: uh no not necessarily i don't i don't think i want to dwell on what could have been right because yeah. then we go down the the path of ashton kutcher's movie uh, the butterfly effect I think that was him at least right and like every string that you pull changes a different variable right and right. uh I try not to dwell on it because yeah. you know we've we've got to focus on what's in front of us sure um and if we focus too much on what's behind us then we lose vision of where we're going so 100%. um yep that's why your rear view mirror is smaller than your windshield
0: Fair enough. And, and, and that ab- obviously is an incredibly healthy way to look at it. I do think it's interesting because I, I was, uh, obviously we're getting to nine 11 and the effect that had, but I mean, that was, um, that was a move that you made to join the Marines that truly, um, I mean, I'm, I'm going to put my thumb on the scale and just say what I think. I think that's one of the, I think that's among the best in america that we're thinking of doing that and that made the leap then and the fact that now 20 plus years later you're still in the marines is a real hell of a thing because there's not a lot of marines the last 20 years in the marine corps i mean that that really is something what did you find when you got to the marine corps did you feel a sense that you were home did you feel a sense of satisfaction did you go Holy shit! I've got to really raise my game. This is more than I bargained for. Like, what was your initial takeaway? What was the initial sh- shock of jumping in that pool? Like,
1: I think so. There was a lot of adventure associated with it, right? And the recruiters give you all this spiel, and they've got these colored pieces of plastic with different words on them and stuff. And and um, in speaking with the recruiters now, um, you know, after developing friendships and after they've moved on from recruiting they say there's two individuals or there's two cards that individuals pick that traditionally turn them into quote unquote lifers. Right. Hmm. And those cards are pride of belonging and travel and adventure. Ah. Um, Other ones are like educational benefits and like um, familial history or something like that. Like there's all these other, they call them benefit tags. Um, But I was never a recruiter. So I can't, base this on anything other than the conversations i've had but people have said that if you pick one of those two cards as the reason you enlisted in the marine corps pride of belonging and travel and adventure those people tend to stick around longer because their their appetite is quenched on day one right you say hey, I want to belong to something bigger than myself and I want travel and adventure. Well, guess what? Get your butt onto an airplane and fly down to this different part of the world you've never been at. Put a check in your box for travel. Oh, it's an adventure going to recruit training. I'll tell you that. And you want to belong to something bigger than yourself? How's about we do that by stripping away your own identity? You have to refer to yourself in the third phase or in the third person um, and you're no longer... Who you were, right? We're gonna tear you down and build you back up. So, right off the bat, within the first, you know, 30 minutes of um applying to be a Marine, right? We don't have to be Marines, we get to be Marines. And within the first, you know, 30 minutes of showing up on Paris Island, I'm like, hey, this is exactly what I signed up for. Great, I'm getting yelled at. I don't even know what I did wrong. (laughs) Excuse me. Um, so it ends up being a lot of fun and then throughout my career like i said it's a pendulum swing sometimes those cups are full sometimes they're completely dry but on the days that they're getting full man travel and adventure what better place to go than spring break 2004 to you know iraq um you're going to travel and you're going to see some adventure you want to belong to somebody cool hey reynolds we need you to make a t-shirt design it needs to be better than everybody else in the battalion because we're the best. I got it. Let's do it. How's about a half naked Spartan guy pulling a lanyard on a howitzer? Yeah. Slap it on a t-shirt. Let's do it. We're the best. Right. And, and that was, that's what it was. It doesn't matter if we were, or we're not the best. We relied upon each other to be able to get the job done. And you know, those two benefit tags were being fulfilled. So um, I don't know where that, question originated but that's
0: where it went no uh no that that answers a ton um and i think i think that's eminently relatable for you what have been the low ebbs has it been um has it come back to sense of purpose sense of belonging or has it been just a single assignment that just kind of sucks or or personality-based conflicts and that kind of thing like what for you has been the tougher part of the military to deal with
1: So bar none, the most difficult part, uh, December 3rd, 2004, two of my friends, uh, Matthew Wyatt and Ben Lee were killed in action in Iraq. Um, they were in, uh, another platoon of the battery or artillery company that we were in. Um, and since then we're, we're approaching 20 years, um, since that happened. And, um, part of getting through those bad days is just remembering them and saying man I don't know if they would have stayed in the marine corps or not but I've got the choice to do that they don't right and they were stripped of that ability and um so to me like that's that's the bottom like that's the worst day I think I've had in the marine corps I, I can very vividly remember exactly where it was at just as much as like I think everybody in the United States that was alive at the time that was, you know, of free thought, remembers exactly where they were at on 9-11, mm-hmm. um, that morning, right? Um, my, uh, platoon was on the Western border of Iraq and Syria, and we were at a place called Fab Walid, and Walid um, we were running a traffic, like, vehicle checkpoint, um, restricting movement from Syria into Iraq to essentially stop anybody from supporting the insurgency that was occurring in Fallujah during Operation Phantom Fury. So my squad leader uh, was sick that day, uh, had the flu or a stomach bug or something like that. So I was the assistant squad leader. So I took my squad from our FOB or Forward Operating Base you know, two miles down the road to this vehicle checkpoint where we had set up. And it was super mundane. Every day we were doing the same thing for six months. Um, It was checking people's passports, telling them to turn around and go back to Syria, interacting with people, bringing our canine handler out, everything. Um, And at nighttime, during the hours of darkness, we would shut down the border completely. Everybody would sleep in their cars and we would just, you know, stand around a 55-gallon drum burning whatever trash or tires or gasoline that we had to stay warm. And I can remember on <clears throat> on December 3rd, um, sitting by this burn barrel and getting a call on the radio that QRF was coming out to us, quick reaction force. It's like the, um, you know, additional people coming from the FOB to come to us. So I look around and I'm like, hey, what did we do? Like either A, I've done a poor job of reporting something or B they've got a report that we're about to get attacked or there's something going on that they need to come out here and like, you know, build up. Mm -hmm. So I'm sitting there and no idea what's going on. Um, and my platoon Sergeant comes up and at the time I'm a corporal and the platoon Sergeant comes up, guy named Staff Sergeant Trevor Townsend. And he's like, Hey, um, I need to talk to you real quick. So I was like, all right, cool. Hey, you guys, you know, do this, do this, do this. And he just like very objectively breaks the news. He's like, hey, the other platoon was just attacked um, like an hour ago. A suicide-borne improvised explosive device um, to the tune of 500 pounds of Um, explosives was loaded into a water truck it drove through the gate at the other fob where our other platoon is Um, a bunch of marines were injured two of them were killed uh, lee and wyatt Uh, we need to heighten our awareness here and be prepared for an attack here as well i need you to inform the rest of your squad and these guys are all like we're all friends we're we're a couple of months into this deployment, but we've done months of workups up to this point. And we're all like, everybody knows each other. Matt, Wyatt, and I, like we would drive around in his little S10 in North Carolina and go to different bars trying to pick up loose women, right? Like we were were just friends, we were homies. Um, And for the first time, like that really hurt. And on the inside, I wanted to like break down and cry and like, man, he's gone. That That's terrible. But your windshield's bigger than your rear view mirror for a reason, right? I'll deal with that later. Right now, I've got to prepare for a counterattack so no more of us happen to die today. So I just walked around and um, I talked to everybody in my platoon. I talked to all my fire team leaders. And I said, hey, here's the deal. Um, This has happened. This is what we need to do about it. It's super objective. We can talk about our feelings later, but right now be prepared for X, Y, and Z. Um, And it wasn't until like years later that I really dwelled upon it in a personal sense, right? And um, it, it was emotional just as much as it's emotional today. But like, that's the low point. And um, I think I've used that as a stepping stone to be able to teach the people around me the reason why we do things, right? And talk about some of the instances that we encountered on that deployment and some of the things and the friendships that we build and the trust that we establish, like all of those experiences collectively make me who I am today. And if I can, at any way, take my bucket and a couple of drops from my bucket, and be able to put them in somebody else's bucket, that to me is effective.
0: Yeah, yeah. I feel like I should ask because I feel like you're you're you've teed yourself into the perfect position to be able to say something about this. Um, I feel like I should ask you to to kind of give a sales pitch to the the active military and veteran community on the value of art do you and I'll, I'll put it in the form of a question do you think more veterans more active duty personnel should look into art do you think um do you or do you, do you think there's things that people are missing that opportunities they're missing by not exercising those artistic muscles um do you think it's worth flashing the bat signal and saying yeah guys pick up a paintbrush or pick up a pen or find whatever medium it is that allows you to communicate and, and, uh, tap into that, that right brain for lack of a better way of putting it.
1: Yeah. And, um, I think you, you brought to light a couple of really good examples. Art is not the only form of art drawings, paintings and pictures is not the only form of art. We see people like Justin Egan and Mason Rodriguez who are, uh, incredible writers who have put together some of um, their experiences in the form of poetry and writing and sharing those things. And when we think about the Marine Corps, we we often think about refrigerators with arms, legs, helmets, guns—just giant, massive guys who are designed to you know break glass in case of war. Send them to war and fill them with beer every once in a while. Um, but at the same point, like they are full of emotion and. Uh, other, like there are two sides to their brain. I think there's also two sides to artwork. There's left of bang and right of bang thinking. So left of bang is the preparatory actions before conflict, right? The things that we can do to prepare ourselves for the realities of war. Those can be talking about and discussing artwork or poetry or writing or reading. I think the Marine Corps capitalizes on the study of um things through reading, right? I, I, with the commandant's reading list and you know books like First to Fight, um, we can read about things to prepare us for conflict. Just in the same, we can use artwork as a tool to prepare us for those grim realities of war. A lot of times the first exposure to war is through media, right And that's watching generation kill or watching. Mm-hmm. A full full metal jacket. Like Mm -hmm. those experiences can kind of be conveyed that way. But the most realistic way is for a firsthand representation through the lens of an artist's eye. Um, That's a very effective way, especially if you tie that into um, small unit leadership, having discussions, talking about those three questions. What do you see? What can you incur, What can you infer? And what else do you see? So that's all left of bang. And then right of bang, there's the therapeutic side to it, right? Mm-hmm. And um, you, you, I've tended to see a lot more people gravitating towards the right of bang therapeutic thing yep. after service, talking about like, hey, I can use my artwork to express my emotions and feelings. And I think that's really important as well. Um, but to go back to your question, what can we tell service members why artwork is effective and i think it's because just as much as you can pick up a book and read and study the environment you're going to go to you can also do that through illustrations um and be able to immerse yourself in that creative thinking mind in order to be more combat effective
0: yeah yeah i'll i'll I, if i can piggyback one thing on you got me thinking Everything um, you described is benefits for the individual, and I think art also has to ha- ha- doesn't have to have, but does have immense benefits for others. And it weaponizes, for lack of a better word, it weaponizes or, or exploits an individual's experience for the benefit of those looking at the art. And I think that's really important because I think when we're looking at the Mill divide. That we see in the country where so few have served, so many are looking to try to get some glimpses to what the realities of a life in service are. I think it's really important for veterans to be able to communicate that, kind of like we said up front. And that 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 effect, like all the great things, whether it's left a bang or right a bang, that they do for themselves to get themselves squared away and get themselves focused or, or healed or taken care of. But also there's second and third order effects that are really going to benefit people coming to look at that art. And go. Oh shit! I think I understand that a little bit more now. And maybe your service doesn't need to die with you. That it can actually be a be a force multiplier and let others give give others a little bit of a window into what that life is like and the benefits and the values of that life. Precisely. I'm piggybacking on what you said, but yes, it, it just it, it it made me uh, go to that place, Mike. I uh, now how much of your life in the Marine Corps now is spent doing combat art? I'm not entirely sure how the billet works. Is it, are you doing that day in day out? I know you're with MARSOC in some capacity right now, but what does that look like? Or is it 60, 40 combat art versus day job or are they, or, or is it, what, what's the dynamic?
1: So um I'm, again, relatively new to the Marine Corps Commodore program. I've only officially been part of it for about 90 days. I have not done any, um, no kidding, assignments yet. So everything that I've done um, has been of my own accord. Where I work at, um, we've got tons of ranges and exercises always going on. You're on a military compound with um, some really cool stuff happening around you. So within relatively close proximity of my desk, where I am, the Marine Corps pays to employ me to work a keyboard, right? Um, I've got to delicately balance being able to effectively get that job done. And then on the side, I'm doing this thing, right? So my main course is eating the steak, being an ammunition officer. But yeah. I've also got some mashed potatoes as a combat artist, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. my dad's not going to yell at me if I don't touch the mashed potatoes, but he's going to yell at me if I don't right. eat the steak. right? So that's, that's, the, um, that's the balance of it. So what's cool is we've got a ton of freedom to be able to draw what we think is important. And then those drawings, paintings, pictures, or whatever, get packed up and sent to the museum and they say, yeah, we'll take it. Or no, we don't really need this. So to me, it's win-win. Yeah. If on a Friday afternoon, I've got nothing going on on my calendar and there's a pistol range, let's go down there and draw some of the Marines that are shooting on the pistol range. Yeah. Um, oh, there's a helicopter hole sitting a quarter mile from where I live. And there's, you know, Marines practicing parachute landing fog out of them. Let's go draw them. And you know, it makes for some really cool pastime. Yeah. Um, but other words, I'm going to sit on my computer and watch YouTube videos. <laughs> you know, so why not be why not no. be productive?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, Mike. Let everybody know where they can follow you, um, how they can reach out to you, the website, all that stuff. Because um, I think um, I think people will, and I think they should.
1: Yeah, thank you. So um, first of all, a plug for the Marine Corps Combat Art Program. If you're not already following it. Hit it up on Facebook, USMC Combat Art. Um, Instagram is USMC Combat Art, all one word. If you're looking for me specifically, I'm on Instagram primarily at 40 Mike Mike uh, Art. It's 40 underscore Mike underscore Mike underscore Art. Sorry, 40 Mike Mike Art, all separated by underscores. um, Because my name is Mike, I deal with ammunition. 40 Mike Mike is what we call it. So I thought it was a cool play on words. Um, I'm also at 40 mikemikeartcom where I sell some of my prints, um, that are available for sale. And those, those sales pretty much just buy supplies to create more artwork.
0: Well, we'll certainly tagged all that in the show notes, dude. This was awesome, man. Um, come back. Let's do this again sometime.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate this discussion.
0: It's been a blast, man. Uh, to be continued. Awesome. That was Mike Reynolds profile in havoc. Really enjoyed talking to him. Really articulate, interesting, intelligent guy. Um, We started out this episode talking about our first sponsor, Second Mission Foundation. Now I'd like to thank our episode's other sponsor, Veterans Repertory Theater. Veterans Repertory Theater is a nonprofit, tax exempt 501c3 organization which provides a platform for talented veterans to create compelling live theater. And events. Obviously, this is my nonprofit, so um, I could speak on and on and on about it. I'll try to limit my comments. Um, there, usually I'd like to do a couple of shameless plugs. There's not a ton that I can plug. I will say April 13th at the Principal Gallery in Old Town Alexandria. We will be back there for our second Savage Wonderground live immersive art performance. Uh, where we're going to bring in, we haven't totally established who's going to be there, but it's going to be some mixture of poets, music, art, spoken word, storytelling, something. And we're going to bring that together in one unique, immersive performance that has a cohesive narrative, cohesive theme to it. And um, yeah, and that'll be there. It'll be $20, and we split the proceeds with all the veteran talent. That, is, that takes the stage for us. So it'd be a really fun night. Um, we're, we had a great time last time we were there. Uh, and, um, yeah, looking forward to doing this again. You can find out all the details at vetrep.org, V-E-T-R-E-P.org, vetrep.org, or savagewonder.com, savagewonder, all one word, savagewonder.com. Um, so check that out. That'll be in April, so you'll be hearing more and more about it. And as we confirm folks that we've we've locked down to to be there we will let you guys know but i'm very excited that we'll be going back there okay i have to thank our producer mike neal i'm christopher paul meyer on behalf of mike reynolds see you next time for another veterans profile in havoc